Yeah. This is the non-microwave truth, and I am C.L. Whiteside. It is fair to say that most things in life don't appear as they seem. You, you probably can think of someone who's had you fooled, someone who appeared one way, but they were actually completely different. And this is our first world problem question day. I think I asked a question before about who was the disciple that you think would drop the best sermons and was actually the, the best preacher. And I got to thinking, which disciple appeared or seemed to be the most obedient or like the best disciple? I put air quotes on that. While Jesus was alive, which disciple do you think that was? And something that I just want to point out is obedience doesn't always equate to actually following and being a disciple because some people are obedient to certain laws or rules of God because that's just the moral standard that they have been raised by. They don't really follow follow Jesus. And the disciple that jumps out to me that I would guess, and I, I don't know, I could be wrong, the disciple that I would guess that appeared to be the most obedient to other people and probably even to the disciples was Judas. And I say this because they trusted Judas enough to take care of the money. So when they're going from town to town, village to village, Judas is the one who has control of the money. He's the one who, who's taking care of everything financially, it appears. And it doesn't seem that any of the disciples thought that Judas was helping himself because they would have said something about it. I mean, wouldn't you at least? But but even to go along with this, um, the reason I said Judas seemed to probably be the most obedient or up there at least is because when they were at the Last Supper and Jesus tells them, you know, one of y'all are going to betray me, they all kind of look around. And none of them are like, it's probably Judas. In fact, they had to ask. They had to tell the one that Jesus loved to ask, like, who is it? And Jesus answered them and he said, it's the one whom I will give the piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. This is in John chapter 13, by the way. And it says that Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one, listen to this, no one at the mill understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. So like they didn't even get it. They didn't even think twice. It was like, oh, him and Jesus talking about some stuff, financial stuff. I really don't know what they're talking about. But they never registered or never was like, oh, Judas about to betray Jesus. You heard that? They, they didn't get it. So it seems that they had to respect him and he had to seem pretty obedient. But this is our first world problem question today. Who do you think appeared to be the most obedient disciple or the one that was respected a lot by the other disciples? Let me know what you think. Love to hear from you. Instagram or Twitter, championlife23. That's my handle. And this is our first world problem. It is dinner time. The title of our episode today is Highs and Lows. And I know I've shared with you before that I coach basketball. And no, this is not going to be an episode on basketball. But I just wanted to share with you a high and a low moment. Now, coaching basketball, we, we have a pretty good team. It's, it's one of the best teams in the state, ranked in the top 10. And I'll give you some background. Last year, we were 21-3. and three. So that's, that's a pretty good record, 21-3. and three. But 21 and three though, we had three losses. We lost all three games to the same team, which was Pewaukee. Just an outstanding program. Have about four or five scholarship athletes on their team. 
They they play the right way. They're very skilled. So that was a hurdle or something that we needed to get over this year. So the first time we play them at their home, they're dropping the banner of them winning the state championship. We get to have the obstacle and the challenge of playing them. And, you know, our, our players are, are geek. They're hyped. They're excited to play them. And we're able to come with the victory against them the first time. This is not the state championship. This is not something. But it is something getting over the hump. And just the high and the thrill of winning. This was on a Tuesday, too. The high and the thrill of winning. And this is something that comes from a game of basketball. Now, I say that because that's extremely, um, it was gratifying. It was awesome. It was cool. But then that Friday, as a coach, you're worried about, all right, having a letdown. We have somebody we might not be as excited to play. But even that, the low of all of a sudden we get into the game, we're about four minutes in, and one of our players collapses. And in that moment, you're like, oh, who cares about basketball? Like when you see the, the fear that the other players have of seeing one of their brothers go down, when you see how everyone is kind of just handling the situation and, and how, how scared some people are, the, the high of winning on Tuesday and then on, you come on that Friday and it's the low of what in the world is happening with our brother. Basketball is so meaningless when you are concerned and you are thinking about one of your brothers and, and what is up with them. And I had to remind myself, and I was so blessed in the moment, though, to be able to hang my hat on the fact that this young man, he's a child of God. Like, he's good. He's in God's hands no matter what happens. Like, no matter what happens. But I just got to thinking, like, people who don't know God, people who have rejected his love and his grace and his mercy, what do they turn to in those moments of uncertainty? I know they turn to science or trusting in physicians and, and hoping they can do what they the best they possibly can do. But what if that's not enough? And it's it's just something to think about all the time is that we are all one step away from death. Like that's just the, the cold, hard truth. That's the non-microwave truth. We're all one step away from death. And on this episode of highs and lows, I, I definitely want to look at how should we handle the high moments and how should we handle the low moments? And as far as that player that I was referring to, he was able to go home that night. And hopefully by the time you hear this, we have some, some more answers. Now, on this episode of highs and lows, the microwave truth. The microwave truth is when you high, you want to keep it high. When you're feeling good, you got to keep feeling good. And when you're low, you got to get higher. That's what you have to do. And I just want you to think about this. Which one is more dangerous for you? Is it more dangerous for you in those high moments or is it more dangerous for you in those low moments? Now, I described the uncertainty of that young man on our team and like we couldn't even finish the game. Players were, were too sad and too hurt to to kind of go on and to perform. But what I've discovered with, with myself is that my lows, when I when I have a low moment, it's very easy for me to get into the word. It's very easy for me to pray or to meditate. But how do you get yourself out of those lower states that you might be in at times? You know, I, I like to say, man, I just need to breathe. And that's just me kind of meditating and thinking about God's word. But I, I know so many people who have a low week and they like, man, woo, I need to get drunk. It's been a long week. Man, I just need to smoke and chill out. I just need to get me a piece. I need to have some sex. Like, I can't even lie. I need to hit something. Or how about the people? I, I need to sit on the couch and have a whole pan of cookies. What is your 
I need to. What is it? Because when all that stuff happened on that Friday, the last thing I wanted to do was drink or anything like that. I just wanted to have a good meal, pray, and go to sleep. That, that was it. Now, I said all that to say my high moments, the, the times when things are really, really going good, those are probably the most dangerous place for me, or those definitely have been the most dangerous in my lifetime. I think it's been times where I felt that I was invincible or I just wanted to, to hold on to the moment or enhance the moment or make the moment even better. Like things were good. So let's make it better. You know, maybe maybe I can pull a chick or something, you know, or I, we get a big win and definitely want to go have a drink or eat good. Then I dominate the week. I'll smash a whole pecan pie. I, I deserve it. I earned it. That's the type of mentality that I have had or had before. And I just want you to think about this. How do you handle your high moments? How do you handle when things are going really, really well and you're getting that success or that recognition? How do you handle those high moments? Now, I think identifying what is my weakness or a danger zone for me has helped me remain. And now I would say I'm pretty even, Kieran. I think most people will say that. And that's just because I've learned lessons, some of them the hard way, about wanting to keep the high moments high or enhance and prolong them. And all of the examples that I listed or used, they're not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but they can be bad if all of a sudden that becomes the addiction or something that you lean to first and foremost and always. And I want to use the example from Matthew 17. And this is when Peter, James and John, they see Jesus transfiguration. It says after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There was a there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now, you got to think about this. This would be like you going with your favorite, your mentor, somebody you, you love and truly care for. And then you see two icons, like two icons. Moses and Elijah were icons. It, it gets no bigger than that in the Jewish world. Absolutely no bigger in the Israelite world. It go, Peter goes on to say, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. So Peter's like, let's stay here forever. This is awesome, dude. I get to see God in his glory. I got Moses and Elijah. People are not going to believe this. I got Moses and Elijah right here. And then on top of this, it gets better. While he was speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. I just picture like Morgan Freeman voice with that. But, you know, of course, God's voice is going to be greater than that. But was Peter wrong? Like what was wrong with Peter saying, let's stay? Peter wasn't trying to get drunk or high. He wasn't trying to start a war. He just wanted to hang on to a great and godly moment. And the danger of wanting to enhance or hold on to great moments like this is you have to ask yourself the question, is this what God wants? And of course, you get the obvious no's if it goes against his word, but it's not as obvious with things that most would say are good or OK. And with Peter, Peter is trying to have heaven on earth. He's trying to have heaven on earth. And Jesus makes it clear that is not the purpose for his followers. That is not the purpose for Peter. Matthew 10, verse 38 says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And we knew Peter was definitely going to be one to take up his cross. He was the one that he was going to build his church on. Jesus was going to build his church on. So Peter wasn't using the typical things that people use to enhance or make things better like food 
or sex or, or drugs and alcohol. And some of you might be wondering, like, what, what is wrong with those things? And the big thing is you're putting your hope in the wrong place. You're putting your hope in, in the bottle or in the blunt. And actually, first Peter one verse 13 tells us, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, you can't be fully sober, drunk or high. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. Hope is the key. And what do you have your hope in? And something that's often overlooked or we don't think about that provides those those higher euphoric moments are attention, applause and like recognition. Like how many followers do you have? How many likes do you get that 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 probably releases some some chemical that just makes you feel all good inside. And that, that's a high that we chase. And I think an example of, of people getting stuck in success and not being able to move on, like they're successful in one way and the glory is awesome and they just want to hold on to it forever and ever. But sometimes when you're holding on to something, God is trying to give you new things to handle. Reminiscing is cool, but to constantly be looking back, it's, it's hard to drive and move forward if you're always looking in the rearview mirror. And that's a question for you. Is there anything that appears good that you might be holding on to and you need to let go so God can give you something new? Definitely get that some thought. And to have the thought process or the expectation that you should feel great or perfect or awesome all the time is dangerous. It's an unrealistic expectation because of sin. Because of sin, we aren't designed or created to be high all the time anymore. Like that's it's just not going to happen. And to point out something from the transfiguration with Jesus going on the mountain, Jesus didn't allow them to stay on the mountain the whole time. Like he kept it moving. Jesus reminded the disciples of his purpose. He, in fact, told them of some bad things that were to come. He did not give the disciples the false hope that he was here to make everything soft and nice and easy for them. He, he didn't do that. And that was how Jesus dealt with the high or the glory of something in a moment. He moved on from it. Now, let's look at the lows, though. You know, those times where you just feel like blah or stuff just sucks. You, you keep getting bad news. Something goes the exact way that you didn't want it to go. Stuff just keeps getting tougher or stuff just keeps getting worse. Like there's no hope. Like you become hopeless. You're starting to feel hopeless. Those are the type of lows that I'm talking about. And in those times, there are three different microwave lies by the devil. I can almost guarantee he's going to try at least one of these on you. The first one is this. If God loves you, he wouldn't let this happen to you. Like, you sure God love you? He let this happen in your life? Like, God doesn't love you. Mm -mm, he don't love you. That's, that's, that's the God you worship? That's a lie that the devil tells us. It's a whole lie. The second one could be, hey, there's nothing you really can do to make it better. So just give up. Like, just give up. Just stop. Whatever the problem is, whatever the issue is, just avoid it. Just let it go because there's nothing you can do about it. You're just going to have to sit in this low moment because you're not really forgiven. Like there's there's nothing you can do about it. And I thought about how Peter and Judas got told this lie. Peter got told this lie after he denied and disowned Jesus. Jesus was like, Peter, you will end up disowning me a few times. Peter like, I would never do that. I swear to God, I would never do that. And then Peter gets in that exact situation. This is at the end of Matthew chapter 26, where... The girl comes up to Peter. This is after Jesus got arrested and was like, hey, weren't you with Jesus of, of Galilee? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who you're talking about. 
And she's like, no, that was you. I saw you. And he's like, I don't know the man. And she's like, dude, you sound kind of funny. You got that that accent. It was you. And he's like, I swear to God, I don't know the man. And then all of a sudden the rooster crows. And Peter runs off and he's crying and he's weeping. And he is in a super low place. He, he has to be. Nothing is going according to what Peter had planned or thought would happen. Jesus is arrested. He's taken. This is his Messiah and his Savior. He obviously didn't get what Jesus was telling him. So his world is turned upside down. And now on top of that, he's not even loyal. And he realizes like, man, I'm really garbage. Like I'm trash. I am trash. Like he told me I was going to deny him and I still did it. I suck. But then we look at Judas and I don't think this gets pointed out enough that Judas betrayed Jesus. But Judas tried to go back to the chief priest. He tried to right his wrong. He admitted that he sinned. He tried to give the money back. And they like, that's your problem. We don't have anything to do with it. That's this is all on you, Judas. Too bad. Too late. And he didn't even keep the money like he threw it at the temple. But his response is different. Judas went and he hung himself. So when we look at Peter's low and we look at Judas's low, Judas didn't think he could be forgiven. And they both were sorry. And Judas even tried to make it right. But he believed that lie that he couldn't be forgiven and there was nothing that he could do. There was nothing that he could do to make it better. The third lie that the devil tells us is do whatever it takes to feel immediately better. If that means get drunk, if that means smoke, if that means watching porn, if that means eating garbage, do whatever it takes to make yourself feel better and just have a little bit of relief. Do it. Just do it. It's okay. It's not hurting anybody. But the non-microwave truth and the fact of the matter is all of those different things hurt someone. At the very least, they hurt you. And most likely they're going to hurt those you are closest to. Now, I want to look at Job in the Bible. Job is probably the king of experiencing low, of times that, that were horrible, times that sucked. And Job lost everything. So Job went from rich to broke. He lost all his assets. He lost all of his children. All of his children got killed. He even lost his health. He lost his health to the point where he had painful sores all over his body. Then on top of that, he had a wife who was like, you know what? You should just curse God. Like, oh, you should just do it. Then he had friends who came. And you think, oh, okay, he got some friends that's going to come and support him. The friends started talking crazy. And it was like they were almost verbally abusive. And they were like, man, this is all your fault, bro. Like, you had to do something. What you do? You don't even got to tell me, but you did something. You had to do something or all this wouldn't happen. Now, a, a lot of our low moments, we have to be real with ourselves, are due to our own stupid decisions. But there are times when it just happens. And how Job responds is how you can apply it to your life, whether it's your fault or it's just a test and it, it just happened. And the first thing that Job realizes is that discipline is a blessing. So if discipline is a blessing, you might as well use it, own it. And look at how God is trying to make you a disciple. Disciple is in the word discipline. The second point is, man, you just have to remember that the devil is begging. The devil is begging to get at you. And he was begging to get at Job. Like, man, the only reason Job really rocked with you is because you gave him all this stuff. Like, let me do this to him, God. Let me do this to him. That's what the devil is saying about you and me. And Job followed and he trusted in God even when he didn't understand it. Even when it didn't make sense to him. Like it physically hurt him to follow Christ. 
but he trusted it was the best. And the main reason we look at getting drunk or getting high or just handling things our way, the world's way, if that's cutting corners, if that's doing whatever it takes to get to the top, is because we want to make it better and we want to make it better right now or the quickest possible. And we really just don't believe that that God will make it better or that God cares or that God really has our, our best interests in mind. Like we start thinking like, you know what? I can do me, I can do this better than God can because I know myself better. And it's like, that's a lie. That's a whole lie. That is what I would call a microwave truth, folks. But just look at this. Look at this. This is in Job 1, chapter 20 and 21. It says that he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked will I depart. The Lord gave... And the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And he says this and does this after the fact that he just got news that a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of his house where all his children were at. And they died. And they died. And this is how he responds. That's an amazing response. And I'm amazed at, at Job in chapter 16. He says and makes the point that even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. And he was making a, a strong case and a point that he knew he had a savior and he needed a savior. And even more important is he knew he had a savior that was fighting on his behalf. And I guess I should point out the fact that Job ended up getting his health back. He got all his possessions back. He got twice as much, in fact. And on top of this, he had more kids who ended up having kids and he got to be a grandparent. And I think a lot of people love to look at his earthly wealth. But the biggest thing that I admire and look at is his spiritual wealth and his spiritual riches. And that's something that all of us can possess and have, the spiritual riches, because of Christ being our mediator and our go-between. And on this episode of highs and lows, I just have to reiterate the point that highs and lows of life, they're real. Like they're inevitable. They, they are going to happen, but you don't have to be a slave to them and be real that heaven is not going to be on earth. You won't experience heaven until you die. Like your whole life is not meant to be one big high. So it's about remaining present, but yet hopeful, knowing that Christ is your mediator and he's the one who fights on your behalf. It's already done, but he's providing in the now. He, he's still there. He's still present. And I have to make this point about being a follower of Christ. With being a follower of Christ, you don't have to have any fear. Like you have so much hope in something greater. You can be so optimistic and so resilient and understand that it's not going to always be easy. And that's okay. But if this life was it, you better believe I would want to be high and having a good time all the time because that would be it. But I know that's not the case. And I'm reminded through my own highs and lows that it's only so much that I actually can can control. But God has me. God got me. So God will. And that's why I can be even kill and, and chill most of the time, because I know he's in control. And Job got me thinking about what can you and I control? And what we, we learn from Job is we can control our responses. And you can just see how Peter and Judas, they had different responses. 
Same, similar situations, but completely different responses. Responses. We can control what we focus on. We can control how grateful we are. Like Job was grateful and worshiping God, even when some crazy jacked up stuff was happening. We can control our perspective. We can control what we do with our time. But how is that possible? That's possible through being in his word. That's possible by making time and finding a routine to continue to build a relationship with God. That's possible by being very conscious of what you're putting in your body and your mind. Are you putting in garbage or are you putting in God's promises and God's truth? What is your hope in? Are you trying to control too much? Are your expectations messed up and jacked? And something I really want to point out to you is the conversations that you have, the conversations that you're having with others and most importantly with yourself. Are you passing those by God? And you're like, well, how do you pass them by God? You pass them by God through prayer, through meditation and through his word. And despite the highs and lows that you face in this world, you have hope. You have nothing to fear because you have an awesome savior who has specifically paid and taken every single low that you've had in your life and paid it and accounted for it and gotten rid of lows that you could never pay for and instead provided you with a high, a high that you could never have earned on your own but was only possible because of Christ making himself low and dying on the cross and then going even lower and experiencing hell for you and for me. And this is the non-microwave truth. Peace punch, Captain Crunch, say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I'm out.